for TV. Welcome back to Doctor Who Too Hot for TV. We are the podcast that looks at all things Doctor Who Extended Universe. Today I am joined by two people who have been on this podcast many a time and if all goes according to plan we're going to be releasing this on the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who but we're going to look at something from the 40th anniversary. So first up it's the one the only Joe Ford. Joe how are you? Well, I just want to say, did you choose me and Luke out of all of the guests for Too Hot for TV to be your 60th anniversary week? I was very happy to choose you guys because you're always available and you're very cheap. Also, Luke Malloy's here. Hello, Luke. How are you? Hi, you. Yeah, we are the Colin Bakers of podcasting, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for oh, having me on. You... Happy anniversary week to everybody else. Hooray. You just have to entice us in with the promise of a wank and a copy of DWM. We're there. <laughs> <laughs> My copy hasn't turned up yet. Can you send it, please? So, Luke, why don't you tell everybody what we're going to do today? Scream of the Schalke. <laughs> <laughs> Part one. <laughs> of six. Mm. Very bizarre that they chose to do this thing. No, no, that's not a statement there. But it's very bizarre that they decided to cut this up into 15-minute episodes. It's an unusual format for Doctor Who, isn't it? I mean, Doctor Who has many formats and tries many things over the years, and I think this is this is just one of them. Uh, and to be honest, I couldn't take 25 to 45 minutes of this shit. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, yeah, agreed. But no, the old the old criticism about the old series was that in twenty five minutes you had to resolve the cliffhanger, tell move the story on, and then start uh, get the, another cliffhanger going. Now you've got to do it in fifteen minutes, so basically it means you're getting about eight minutes of plot per episode. But it's a cartoon. It's <laughs> what's that got to do with it? It's still a piece of storytelling. It's just I don't know. It's not the right place for Doctor Who. This oh wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, well, that's a blanket statement at the start of this. <laughs> Are we to assume you were not impressed with this? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get into it, I think. Well, well, I think we will get into it. when we, So we're going to do this as a commentary, but first of all, I need to set the scene a little bit. So The Scream of the Schalke premiered on BBC I, the BBC website, no less, between the 13th of November and the 18th of November 2003. News at the time... You who read the November cover of Doctor Who magazine as Richard E. Grant was announced as the Doctor. Now, he never got a Richard E. Grant is the Doctor cover because in the same issue, it was announced by Lorraine Hegacy of the BBC that <laughs> Russell T. Davis was to bring back Doctor Who to BBC television in the year 2005. You couldn't make this shit up, could yeah. you? <laughs> Talk about timing. Uh, <laughs> other news oh. at the time. A brand new Doctor Who documentary was announced to go on the BBC at Christmas of that year called The Story of Doctor Who. The Longleat exhibition, home of Doctor Who for many years, was due to close permanently. And Lorraine Hegacy said, we're going to do a series of repeats of old Doctor Who stories on BBC One before the new series. That didn't happen. While Big Finish assured everybody that their licence would not be cut short because of the new series and they could be making audios well into 2007. <laughs> And look how that worked out. Do you know what else was happening at the time? <laughs> Luke Malloy was playing Conkers in the playground, not knowing <laughs> that his entire life was about to be transformed in a couple of years. Oh, it's very true. I know. I'd have been seven. I had no idea Scream of the Shelker existed, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Were the kids not talking about that in the playground? <laughs> Surprisingly not. We weren't going around playing Shelker 
and imitating screams <laughs> of the Schalke. As an idea for kids to play in the playground, are bursting up through the floor and screaming. I mean, I think it kind of works. Unfortunately, because yeah. this is, you know, the equivalent of, well, what is it? It's like the, the, the a tiny little headline in the corner of a paper in terms of exposure. <laughs> like, nobody. Who the fuck watched this? <laughs> Apart from hardcore Doctor Who fans. You can't put this on a billboard. <laughs> 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 Now, were kids not into webcasts when you were seven? Was everybody not webcasting here and there? <laughs> not with this shitty animation, they weren't. <laughs> I was, I'd say I, I was quite a, a tech-savvy kid. I like always on the computer, doing stuff on the computer. And I I'd never heard of these. I don't think I'd heard of these until about four days ago when I had to watch this bloody thing. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard of Screaming the Shower it was reading that issue of Doctor Who magazine where the fella said he's gone along to the thing and he's been locked in a cupboard. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> what? Literally. Yeah, so they, they did like a marketing thing and it all went horribly wrong. All the timings were out. And uh, did someone learn something they shouldn't have done or something? So they threw the Doctor Who magazine man in a cupboard and locked him in. So he wrote his article <laughs> inside the cupboard, <laughs> saying, I'm locked in a cupboard and I don't know what's going on. Oh, <laughs> I thought, this sounds like a fucking shambles. <laughs> The whole the whole thing was doomed from the start, but I remember being quite excited about it. But then the new series come uh, is announced, and this is advertised on BBC television. There are adverts for it, and I remember my mates who weren't into Doctor Who going, "Oh, is this what Doctor Who is now? It's come back as a as a cartoon." I'm like, "No, you've got to wait two years for proper Doctor Who." I sort of remember the the grumblings about this, and then I heard that Richard E. Grant had been cast as the Doctor, and then unfortunately my interest completely evaporated. You're not a Richard E. Grant fan. I have never seen Richard E. Grant give a performance with uh, an iota of energy in it. He manages to stride up franchises. Star Wars, you know, he's in fabulous films like Whitney Like He's so boring in everything he does. Why, why do you think that is? Because I'm, I'm not tending to disagree with you, to be honest. But I've only really seen him in Doctor Who and with Whitney and I. It's really odd because when he got the part in Star Wars, there was a, like a, a social media video of him on X or Twitter or whatever it's called these days, of him almost exploding like a balloon on a kid's birthday like, with excitement. So I thought, okay, so he can be excited and energetic. I don't know why he gives this somnambulistic performance in everything he does. It's baffling. It's especially baffling here where he's got the part of a lifetime. He gave a better performance here than he did for the great intelligence but I know that's not saying much <laughs> I think we'll get into his performance as we go along because it does evolve but for a long time he was a fan favourite to be Doctor Who and there was when Paul McGann Why? when Paul McGann was cast there was a real backlash on the early internet of people going they've cast the wrong person from with Nail and I it's the wrong one are you kidding me right now was that a genuine thing that was that's going Doctor around? Who fans though at you know, isn't it? Like, we want the dark, broody one, not the fun, charismatic one, missing the whole point of Doctor Who. This is all. Absolutely. This is the same people that uh, were voting for all those Moffat stories in the DWM poll, you know. There's not a bit of sense <laughs> amongst it, any Joe. of them. Get over it. Do you want a fun fact about Richard E. Grant? Go on. Yeah. He eats a Christmas pudding every day of the year. I knew that. I don't know he how sto- I knew that. He stocks up on Christmas puddings and has one every single day of the year. Oh, wasn't it? No, there was a video of him going, and I have a, a like a once every sort of three months Christmas dinner and gets all his family around to do it. I mean, I mean, it sounds like he's an eccentric. 
He sounds great. He sounds just like Doctor not when Who. I'm listening to him. But yeah, yeah. that's the sort of thing Maybe I imagine it. Doctor Who doing. Going, it's going to be Christmas every day. I made a Christmas pudding every day. They're not just for Christmas. <laughs> of course, none of that is present in episode one of Scream yeah, of the Shelter. Yeah, if he did that in Scream of the Shelter, what is effectively doing copy. here is an audio. Is that he hasn't even got to do most of the work. He's just got to turn up in a studio and you know just give a bit of energy into a microphone. And he, you know that first scene, and we'll get there in a minute. And he just walks around going, hmm, "What's going on here then? Oh, a pub." <laughs> Like, you know, like it's, a, it's a baffling acting choice. And you know what? The most scathing comment of, of all about Richard E. Grant is Paul Cornell trying to be diplomatic on the documentary going, yes, I really felt as if Richard E. Grant came alive once we got past the first couple of episodes. And I thought, <laughs> this is you on the official DVD release saying how terrible he is. Well, look... Shall we jump into this commentary and see how episode one fares t- some 20 yes. years later? Joe, would you like to count us in to press play? Excuse me, this sounds very like another podcast that I've occasionally guested on. Yes. I would love to, yes. Yeah, it's Shit the to- it's Toby Haydock's podcast that we're ripping this format <laughs> <up from>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, gentlemen, we will off go showering in five, four, three two, one. And off we go. BBC I presents. Yay! Now, so obviously, Joe, you were around at the time. Luke, you're a little too young. Mm. But uh, were you a fan of the other webcasts that had been before this, Death Comes to Time, Real Time and Sharda? (laughs) I already watched the first two episodes of Death Comes to Time last week. So, no. (laughs) What was the other one? Oh, real time. I did watch real time at the time because I was a big Finnish fan. So I do, mm. I do remember enjoying that. I was all a bit distracted by the animation, this flash animation. You know, you had to download yeah. something on your computer to get it to work. And I'm not tech savvy yeah. at all, so I had a lot of difficulty. It, 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 it was all very bitty <clears throat> and glitchy, much like my internet today. So it's only fitting that if things go a bit wrong on this, it's, <laughs> it's, it's on screen with the Schalke. Now... We <laughs> so excuse me in one second. What is going on? Why have they animated this character in the Hawaiian shirt? Like, what is this guy? Oh, I don't mind. Shirt? I don't mind this setup at all. I think if interestingly, it starts the same as Rose and Spearhead from Space with a shot from a shot from <laughs> space. Yeah, it's a big new relaunch, and here we've got some relatable '90s characters straight out of the X Files. Even a nerd with a wispy beard. He looks like he stepped out of Woodstock, though, in the 60s. Yeah, but he's retro, isn't he? I thought the the opening shot of the Earth with the meteors going down, it reminded me a bit of Battlefield Episode 1, you know. Absolutely. That sort of vibe. But it it feels like they're going for the X-Files setup here, doesn't it? Of like, oh, it's mysterious goings-on on the planet Earth. And I think, much like Russell will do, it's right to centre it on Earth and not do some big sci-fi story set elsewhere. Was that still a thing at the time, then, the X-Files, at this point? No, but it was still the main reference point for Doctor Who fans, because they're always a bit out of date. I'd, I'd actually go as far as to say I think the X-Files redefined genre television insofar as how cinematic it could look. So it had a massive impact and there was a lot of sort of um, images from the X-Files that people knew about, you know? So, it, yeah, I think it was still in the zeitgeist a bit. i say the bad thing about this is we don't see these characters again until about episode five. I, I didn't really remember anything to do with them. 
Oh, God. Here we go. It's the first of the screams. Ah, I said off mic. I was watching this at 3.30 in the morning, and my TV was up quite loud, and all the fucking screaming that goes on in this thing. My brother came down the stairs and threw me a filthy look. See, already by this point, I know the doctor's not even stepped out of the TARDIS, but I was already thinking, why has Dylan put me through this? (laughs) (laughs) Now, we've obviously just watched the Doctor arrive, the return of our hero, and I think the big the big issue here is we get this weird vampire-looking character stepping out of he his looks like and a shouting corpse, about, doesn't he? he? He does, shouting about, why have you sent me here? And it's suddenly, it's a mystery, but it's a mystery, and we're seeing it as the audience first. I do think the companion figure in this is a step in the right direction, but it should open in that pub. But the trouble with the companion in this is she's got zero chemistry with Richard E. Grant. She's the bloody queen, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you're, you're referring to Sophie Akinado, aren't you? I was so yeah. surprised by the amount of big names in this. I could not believe it as I was watching this crap. What the voices that were coming out of some of these people. The one got... that stuck out to me most was Craig Kelly from Queer yeah, as Folk. Yeah, you yeah. cannot forget his voice. No, straight away I was like, let's go for Queer as Folk. And obviously, you got Derek Jacobi. But that was the one, I agree, that was the one that got me. Yeah, he does look like a he does look like a cadaver, doesn't he? I, I just kept thinking, like, we've got this bold new Doctor Who. Why have they made him look like he stepped out of The Walking Dead? Well, I, I think it's a new look for him, you know. They're trying something different, and no one's figured out that the, perhaps the frilly shirts and the, and the long coats isn't the way to go. But you know, like, the green jacket he's got on. Because they keep showing him from sort of just a headshot... It looks a bit like a dressing gown from from the top. So I kept thinking it looked a bit like Liberace as well. <laughs> I, 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 I quite like the outfit. I gotta say, I, I I'm annoyed that I do because it's the sort of thing that a fan would just put him in and say he's the Doctor. But I do quite like it actually. I like the colour and the the length of it. Uh, and I did I did start to enjoy it slightly more now he'd hit the pub and had a whiskey. That's exactly where I wanted to be whilst watching this. What down the pub? <laughs> uh, has anyone got a drink drink tonight to get through this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well done. I'm, I'm only drinking water, so it's your company that's getting me through this. I'm being very mean, but you know what? I, I yeah, we'll sort of sum it all up. I'm sure at the end. I don't think this is a terrible story. Like I think it's got a reasonable plot. I think it's trying to sell tell like a, a, a large scale Doctor Who story with some interesting visuals. Cause I don't think the animation is terrible either, despite what I might have said. Um, I think my my biggest sticking point is Richard E. Grant in this, and just that he just I... doesn't he doesn't thrill me in any way. I I really struggled with Richard E. Grant the first time I watched it, but I I'm and he is terrible in these first couple of episodes. But I do think he warms up, and by the end of it, I was actually quite enamoured with him at the end in a way that I wasn't the first time round. You know, the bit later on when he starts singing like terrible notes. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Oh God, no, stop! <laughs> I kept wanting Derek Jacobi to knock him out, and then for him to take over the story. My biggest problem with this, I think Rob Sherman wrote a book about if you read stories in the right order, they'll have the most optimum effect on you, and like vice versa. If you come to, I don't know, like Doctor Who when you're 50, you'll think it's crap, and so it's like finding things at the right time. And I just think I found this it just the the most 
terrible time. Because I wasn't there at the time, so it's not important to me then. It's not important to me now. Uh, I'd much rather be watching or doing many other things. And I'm excited for this new era of Doctor Who, which this literally couldn't be furthest away from. But but people weren't excited for this at the time. It was even when they were making it, they knew they were damned. And everybody within the BBC kept telling them, no, this is wrong. This isn't going to work. And it, like halfway through, they're told that Doctor Who's coming back. It was slated at the time. This is not a fondly remembered bit of nostalgic Doctor Who at all. No, it's it's genuinely hard for me to analyse or really have an opinion on. Um, can can I say though? Because one thing I gleamed, they didn't say this explicitly in the documentary, but it was inferred that because they had to go through the the issue of rights to get this made, uh, there was a meeting with Lorraine Hegacy and the other woman who was involved at the beginning of Doctor. Who, I can't remember her name now, and um, they said to James Goss and the producer, "No, no, you can't do this. All the rights are tied up, and blah blah blah." blah. And they said, "No, no, no, that's the Daleks." not Doctor Who, so we can make Doctor Who. I'm wondering <clears throat> if this is the point where Lorraine Hegacy was like, oh, okay, we could make Doctor Who. Like, there's there's no rice issues at all. So, Screamer the Schalker, behind the scenes, may be responsible for the TV show coming back <laughs> in 2005. Well, I mean, they didn't know, and those were the people that made the decisions, and then they knew because of this. It's been said many times that BBCI are the reason why the rights issue was resolved because somebody from there actually looked into it and went, no, there are no rights issues. Do we think that launching a new Doctor in this format of animation it goes would go against anybody because you're dealing with flash animation you're not getting the physical performance. It's not somebody we've seen before so we can imagine how they move and act. So I'm not saying there isn't a lackluster performance here, but I'm saying if Christopher Eccleston had come back as a flash animation, do you think it would be hard? He would have been a hard sell too, because you're not getting yes. the physicality. Yeah, yeah, hands yeah. down. I almost think this would be better if he wasn't a ninth Doctor. If he was just, if it was just Doctor Who reset again. I'm not saying, I'm not saying making that flash animation of the unearthly child. God forbid, but you know, just starting again. Which it sort of is, but it's it, he's landed and he's talking about the Time Lords of Sentinel and so and you can just actually start it properly. Well, when he came out of the TARDIS, did I imagine it, or did he have like a set of keys, like a car, and go gluk gluk? He and did. The TARDIS. Yeah, I quite like that bit. Me too. I was going to say, like when this was first commissioned, though, they genuinely thought this is the only way Doctor Who can come back. BBC aren't interested in making a TV show. The, the, the idea of a film's gone nowhere. So this was, for a few months, they were like, this is the only way Doctor Who as a series can continue. And may, maybe I they would have been right. I appreciate the effort and the creativity. Well, <clears throat> what, they, what they said on the documentary was they wanted to mark the anniversary. So I don't think this was supposed to be... I know that originally they were going to do three stories, weren't they? Three, four-parters. <clears throat> and then they realised when the budget came in, they didn't have the money for three, four-parters. So they did one six-parter. Um, and I think that's a good enough goal that they wanted to mark the anniversary with some new Doctor Who that was pushing it in a new direction. Because, like, look, go back to the 30th and we had Dimensions in Time, which I do love, but, you know, it's a total... It's a bit of a joke, isn't it? And it's all nostalgia. What on earth could you gleam going it's, forward from Dimensions in Time? It's canon now, though. This this can't be canon. 
There is no Schalke doctor in the Timeless Children montage. This isn't canon. It's all canon, Luke. <laughs> but it was, it was. I, I mean, it was foreshadowed sorry. in some of the BBC books. Like they did make the master actually, which we'll come to later, a sort of floating, like a, a bodiless entity in one of the books to sort of foreshadow mm-hmm. him taking over a robot. We'll obviously get there, but I have no idea what's going on there. And, <laughs> I, th- I thought the implication was that, you know, because he was sucked into the TARDIS during the TV movie, that his consciousness had been taken out and put inside that robot. But there's no real... Uh, I, they don't really I know describe what, how it occurred. I know what it is, because Paul Cornell says on the commentary, but we'll talk about the Master when we come to it in a oh, bit. did you listen to the commentary uh, as well? Yes. Oh, bless you, Dylan. Yeah. I would say, like, that's just not <clears throat> helpful to someone who... He's like not used to Doctor Who, but no. there's no one who's not used to Doctor oh, Who. Oh no, this was this. this was a huge success. This broke the fucking internet. Like, it, <laughs> it, it, I'm, I'm serious. There, were, <laughs> I, I don't know the exact numbers, but there were millions of impressions, is what they say. They used to say it by page impressions, and I don't quite know what that equates to. But this was. Oh, are you are you not being sarcastic? I'm not. I, no, I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> oh, both, I can't tell because I can't see you like I normally can. <laughs> both this and Death Comes to Time were a huge success with what we will describe as a casual internet audience. There were not just Doctor Who fans watching this. The not okay. we tuned in. There was there was nothing on the internet at the time. There was the there was there was still porn. There was porn and back up Doctor Who. No, can you remember how long it took for a porn page to load at this point? Oh, tedious. Um, (laughs) But maybe because of the announcement of Doctor Who halfway, Doctor Who now was in the air because people knew it was coming back, and this was the first thing that materialised. Maybe that had something to do with it. Possibly. I wonder how many people tuned in as this as the new Doctor Who tuned straight out and never gave the Justin a chance. <laughs> yeah. Do you have the exact numbers from episode one to episode six? <laughs> There's a huge drop I mean, off. I, I'm sure someone out there loves this, but I, I'll be controversial and say I'm happy we got Christopher Eccleston instead. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes. But it is an intriguing little sort of side universe. And it? that's the most interesting bit about <clears throat> it, isn't it? Is that little peek into, fucking hell, we could have had this. Yeah. <laughs> well, what what would have been intriguing would have been had we had the three stories. Yeah. So we could have seen what they would have done like after this. Yeah, three three scream of the shoulders <laughs> that's what that's exactly what we want the sequel <laughs> paul, paul cornell wrote this and obviously he's quite a popular doctor mm. writer and his new adventures and stuff are very popular do we think that this shows the division between a doctor who writer and a showrunner in terms of paul cornell's vision of bringing back the show versus someone like russell t davis yes yeah yeah it's yeah I think it's worth noting, you know, that Paul Cornell can be extremely hit and miss, both his new adventures and his TV episodes. So, and I think this is somewhere in the middle. I don't think this is a write-off, and I don't think this is a classic. It's just sort of somewhere in that sort of middle ground of, it's a traditional Doctor Who story done reasonably well. If this was the opening of season three of a new series after we'd had a couple of, like, years of bedding in and sort of bangers and getting used to it, I think that's an alright season opener, but not as a big relaunch, I think. Or maybe sort of like a mid-season, sort of around the Doctor's Daughter, that part of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the sort of vision for the show that grants it a little budget place on BBC Three for two or three series is yeah. not what makes it into a RTD spanning 
phenomenal absolutely so we've smashed through season one already uh, episode one sorry not season one <laughs> season one oh my god how many seasons of the richard e grant doctor were there <laughs> oh there was loads in an alternative universe. Don't, you don't want to wake up in that universe <laughs> oh, i don't think that's a terrible episode one though the idea of the of the, the the village the town that's having to be quiet you know if that was uh, filmed like live action you could do that in a sort of really disquieting way uh, you've got monsters popping up out of the earth I, I think there's enough here to sort of get his claws into you yeah. I, th- I don't think the story's too bad because you say if it was live action I think it's quite an enjoyable little hour that passes by the The animation is a barrier for me even though it's it's not that it's actually bad it's you know it's not far away from like Archer and that or anything like that I think the actual the the stills are really gorgeous because later on there's a, a shot of the TARDIS with that spiral staircase and people all in shadow around the consoles. So I think a lot of the time the still images are quite striking. Yeah. It's that sort of juddery. I watched Lower Decks the other day from Star Trek Project and the animation is so sophisticated. It's so smooth. You think it was live action half the time. You know we've come so far from this now. It is a bit of a yeah. barrier in 2023. But, but this animation has to be viewable as part of the BBC's remit on the shittest dial-up internet that you can possibly get. <laughs> so it, it has to be suitable for all. But you know what? As a, as a part one, I'm not loving Richard E. Grant in part one, but as a little no. setup of a 15-minute episode, I'm absolutely fine with it. It did the job for me. But I, I wouldn't keep watching it. Yeah. If, if it was my first time, and I'm taught as a fan... <laughs> if it weren't for this podcast I wouldn't have kept, kept is this the it. can you hear me of spin-offs <laughs> I'd have only watched it out of pure interest but I wouldn't have watched it like actually sat there watching it it have been watching it you've the, watched the all of The Stranger I did this in six separate parts on six separate days because I just no. couldn't face. Wow! Oh come yeah. on! It's and I've, wa- I've watched I've watched the Daleks Master Plan in a day, <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't even exist. I'm trying to think like what? Well, how can we compare this to something else? Fifteen minutes. So I'm thinking. Think about the first fifteen minutes of the TV movie. Yeah. So you got the bit, and then McCoy and the TARDIS, and then the the snake and all of that. It's just and... generally incomparable, though, isn't it? How it moves. Like, are you talking about the movement in the animation? Doctor Who, I think, is all about sort of, or you say it cliche, running down corridors. You can't get that same feeling of running down corridors from this animation. No, but no. I, I wonder if the first fifteen minutes of the TV movie had been animated with exactly the same actors and dialogue, whether you'd be looking at that as a bit of a bit of a stilted mess. I, yeah. I don't think I'd like it. <laughs> well, there we go. Well, you, you, we're not going to change. Why did you invite him, Dylan? Well, well, I've definitely. I don't know. I have. I have an issue with the the form it's taken, though. More so than I usually would. I'm fine with comics and audios and as to, but yeah, I just this doesn't work for me at all. I've got another form that this came in that I'd like to talk about in episode two. Okay. But uh, I'll save it. Okay. Well, look, shall we, uh, as this is going out daily, yes, daily, shall we cut it there, as my friend Joe Ford says, and come back for episode two tomorrow? <laughs> I'll cut it there. I'll try and be happier tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're misery. <laughs> Excellent. Doctor Who. Too, too, too hot for TV.